Well, folks, I am so happy to invite Dr. Brian Day from Canby Surgery Centre onto Coastal Front Studio today. Born in Liverpool, UK, Dr. Day graduated in medicine from the University of Manchester and later completed his orthopedic specialist training and trauma fellowships at the University of British Columbia. Dr. Day proceeded to set his practice at the Vancouver General Hospital and UBC where he developed his expertise in orthopedics, sports injury, and arthroscopy. With several achievements under his belt, here are a few that we'd like to highlight. Dr. Day is the recipient of the Canadian Orthopedic Association's Edward Sampson Award for Outstanding Research, past president of the Canadian Medical Association. Today, Dr. Day remains a physician staff member at the Vancouver Coastal Health and honorary associate professor at UBC, along with being the medical director for the Specialist Referral Clinic and Canby Surgery Centre. Outside of the medical industry, Dr. Day is husband to Dr. Nina Bland and his father of six children, and he's also a toffee, which will let you explain to listeners what that is. Today in the podcast, we are going to be discussing the current healthcare system in Canada, as well as the potential impacts of privatization. Dr. Day, thanks for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. So let's start off by what is a toffee? So um, in Liverpool, there are two... Um, football teams we call it you call it soccer we call it football real football we call it um, <laughs> and they're Everton and Liverpool and Everton are known as the Toffees and they were the original um, club in Liverpool Li uh, and Liverpool Football Club which has risen up the rankings is uh, was an offshoot early on over a hundred years ago so if I'm over at your house I should definitely make sure I'm not wearing any red yeah, no red. <laughs> no red, okay. <laughs> Except right. a poppy. A poppy's A okay. poppy's fair. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And I'm wearing my mind today. Okay, Brian, we're going to spend some time today to talk about the universal healthcare system we have in Canada yes. and the challenge that you're, you've got going on in, in the courts today, yes. as well as your private uh, clinic that you've got, and help shed some light on what the other side sees here. Because what we normally hear about is how, especially external to Canada, you always hear you know, reports about how Canada's got this great universal health care system. So let me start by asking you, Canadians have a view, generally speaking, that we have this fantastic universal publicly funded health care system that we take a lot of pride in, uh, especially when we travel to the States. You know, when we get into conversations with our American mm -hmm. uh, counterparts, we say, well, you know, in Canada, I can go and get an operation if I'm sick. I can go see my doctor and I don't have to pay anything for it. Can you explain to our listeners what it means to have universal health care and what does it mean that it should include? So the description you gave was accurate when I came to Canada and it was like that for 10, 15 years. And then it gradually started to get a reality check because um, we tried to provide everything to everyone in unlimited amounts and we couldn't do it. And so... Over the years, what Canada's system has evolved into is a system of rationing. So we now severely ration access to healthcare in a way we didn't um, 30, 40 years ago. And so the system is now at a state where hundreds of thousands, um, uh, actually in BC, hundreds of thousands across the country, millions are waiting on wait lists um, for access to care. And many of those patients have cancers. They're not just, or heart disease. They're, they're dying on wait lists, some of them. And that's, um, that's 
that's something that we find as doctors we find unacceptable and just to correct a little thing there's a there's a a feeling among many people that this is a system Canadian support but actually um, 80% of Canadians according to an Ips uh, 80% of British Columbians according to an Ipsos poll don't don't support it um, they want change and yes we rank in a recent ranking of health systems we came out um, ahead of the United States they ranked 11 countries they were ranked 11th and we were ranked 10th so okay so our <laughs> we, we got a, we beat the Americans but we're well in last place yeah and sometimes okay. Canadians are like that if we're, as long as we're better than America uh, the United States um, but and what you're saying is we should be aspiring to be in first or second, not... Yeah, I think... If Do you know out of interest what country came in first or second in that well, list? Well, um, countries, it, 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 it changes up and down. Like in, 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 in the year, uh, about 20 years ago, um, the World Health Organization did a ranking, and Canada came in 30th in the world, and the United States 37th. Um, at that time, France was number one. Today, it varies from countries like uh, Norway or Switzerland, um, Singapore, Switzerland, but I've worked in Switzerland and they have um, what you would call um, a very uh, a strange system. They have universal health care, um, but it's not publicly operated or publicly funded. It's it's based on the private on private insurance and mostly private delivery, but the government or the canton pays the premiums, so it's still universal. But they offer much more than we do. We, hmm. you know, we don't get prescription drugs. We don't get physio. We don't get dentistry. Um, we don't even get an ambulance for f for under our system. So it's right. not really, it's not really what we think it is. Okay. Now you started Canby Surgery in 1996. Yes. Um, what made uh, Canby Surgery at the time of opening different than what what I've if I'd gone to go through the public health care system in 1996? So th the reason we opened it is a group of us got together and uh, a group of doctors. Yes, okay. and and some business some in the business community, some okay. well-known, um, long-standing supporters of the public health system, like. Uh, Jack Poole and Milan Illich. Uh, our shareholders, our founding shareholders, a lot of them were in the, in the business community. They've donated over $100 million to the public health system in BC. And so these were not out, uh, these were not, um, but they recognized there was something wrong. These weren't anti-public no, health people. No, they weren't anti-public health people. And um, what was happening is that surgeons, uh, mostly surgeons back in, at the beginning, and anesthesiologists and uh, their time in the public system was cut back progressively over the years from, I started off with 22 hours of operating time a week and was cut back to five hours a week. But I had 400 patients waiting to get into hospital. Uh, if you can only operate on two or three a week, that doesn't work. What and was causing this cutback? Um, lots of reasons, um, but m basically money. The, the government had promised this system and couldn't deliver, and they weren't funding it. They didn't have the funds, and um, and when you say government, we're talking about provincial government. Both um, provincial government and federal government. I mean, healthcare is constitutionally under the provinces, but the federal government uh, uh, basically gives some of the taxpayer money they take back to the provincial government, right? As a um, which you know is is um, in some ways contrary to the. Contrary to the origins of Canada, because uh, under the 
original um, federation, healthcare and education was supposed to be just provincially operated, and that's why there's no provincial minister of education. Um, but for some reason, the government, federal government, got into healthcare and probably sh um, shouldn't be there. Now, Brian, that was 1996, um, roughly about 25 years ago. How does that? How has that changed to today? Now, what is Camby's purpose? What you're doing at Camby Surgery in the specialist referral clinic is it different today? Have you have you grown? Um, you obviously have a court case as well. We can get into that in a minute, but just to talk about what the Camby Surgery Group does today. Well, essentially, um, you know, one of the analogies I use is like as we had. If you're a mechanic and you had customers with cars to fix and the customers couldn't get into the garage that the government owned and the mechanics weren't allowed to do their work in the garage that the government owned. So what we did as an analogy is we went and built our own garage and let people come. But most, actually, our original um, patients were we focused on w injured workers, workers' compensation. And the Workers' Compensation Board is still our biggest um, client, if you will, because they recognize m as much as anyone that, that keeping people off work, paying them and having them out of the workforce and with a disability that's going to get worse with time if it's not treated in a timely way, they recognize they need to do something about it. So there's a, a strange paradox in our universal system that work injured workers um, get priority over people who are in, have the sure. same injury but didn't do it at work. Yeah, well, I've got an interesting. Maybe I'll jump jump to this. I've got an interesting question for you that for the listeners to 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 hear this one out. So, you've got four people all in Whistler. Okay, one of them is a BC resident, and one of them is a friend of theirs who's an Alberta resident. They're out skiing in Whistler, and unfortunately, they both break their legs while they're skiing. You also have an ambulance driver that on their way gets in an accident themselves, sadly, and they also break their legs. And they're in a vehicle, uh, driving a, an insured vehicle. And the, the ski instructor also broke their legs on their job. So you've got one Alberta resident, one BC resident, they're just casually skiing with a paid instructor. They all three of them break their legs. And then the person working to take these people to the hospital also breaks their leg. Of those four people, how many of those people could you operate on? Well, I mean, breaking breaking a leg is perhaps not the best. So maybe wrecking a, a knee or, or okay. tearing a major knee. a major ligament injury. Yeah. Um, because breaking a leg, you go to the emergency department and. Okay. You'll wait a long time still, but say like but they all wreck their knees. Yeah, but if they all wreck their knees, yeah. yes, the only one that would have to wait sometimes well over a year is the BC resident. And actually, we had that example. Like I was, I was um, during the Winter Olympics in 2001, I think, um, in Vancouver. We um, we were looking after the the Olympians from all over the world. And so we were treating Russian gold medal. I, I treated a Russian medalist, an Australian medalist who got, got injured. And we also treated the BC resident uh, Olympian, or the Canadian Olympians. But the, if they were from BC, we were breaking the law to treat them. They were supposed to, in theory, go on a long wait list. Um, 
and you know to show how ridiculous it was a couple of, it is now a couple of weeks ago i was at our clinic treating two albertans and a colleague in alberta was at a clinic there treating two bc residents they've each had to cross the border because once you cross the border it's like being in a different country you're a foreigner and um, so this doesn't make any sense at all it's completely illogical yes and and i think what we and have to, to make sure we're clear brian going back to the reason i used the the working on the job and driving a vehicle mm -hmm. was i was referencing worksafe bc and icbc yeah. so worksafe bc is bc's publicly funded monopoly on uh on workers compensation yes and icbc is the province's taxpayer funded monopoly on in car yeah. insurance and these are both two of your largest customers at Canby. Yeah, to be fair, the workers' compensation, I think this is important, it's a privately funded insurance scheme. Is it? Like, uh, yeah, okay. because the only funding the workers' compensation board gets is from employers. Okay. There's no tax dollars. So, so, but it's an example of private insurance operating in British Columbia. Right. And I think- It's the, a good parallel to what, yeah. you know. So, okay. so basically what we're saying is if someone's injured on the and, and not on the job, they should have the same privileges. And and even more is um, is is the fact that we are unique as a country in this way. Like mm -hmm. we, we we love to compare ourselves to the United States, but of every we are unique in making it unlawful to look after yourself when you're un unwell or injured. Okay, well, this is a good segue into the systems that exist in our in our planet. So mm -hmm. let me just use two uh, two systems that kind of really contrast each other, and then I want you to tell me where Canada fits in this. So over on one side of the spectrum is a free market system like you have in the United States. I may not get this completely right, mm -hmm. but I'm go with what most Canadians understand. So on one end of the spectrum, free market system in the United States, largely paid for through you know insurance from employment uh, arrangements, but you could have private insurance, but it's, it's all, it's not a public system. And then the other end of the spectrum, you have like a communist system where everything, all, all items, all services are made available to the public um, by the government. Where would you rank Canada in this spectrum? So, so just to call it a communist system, one of the things that's most interesting is most of the hospitals in communist China are private hospitals. So just to they verify, are? yes, Canada doesn't have any. Um, and okay. that, um, that, um, that what, um, where we rank is unique because there is no country in the world where it's unlawful to obtain private health insurance except Canada. And uh, and that's shocking to some people. And also the U.S. You know, we look. We we usually think of the U.S. as a. So you're saying we're worse than the communists? Way worse. <laughs> At least when way it comes more to extreme. Way, At least when it way comes more to, to the left of okay. of the communist countries. Way more to the left. Yeah, of we're communist countries. To the left when it At least to healthcare. Healthcare. Okay. Yeah. And and also <laughs> the Americans. Not freedom of speech, thankfully, but. <laughs> well, we think of. Um, we think of Americans and the United States as being a free market system, but actually, you know, if you're over sixty-five in the United States, you're covered by Medicare. Okay. And if you're un if you're in the lowest income groups, the poor are covered by Medicaid, and they're, they're state operated and uh, federally operated in some cases, 
and um, and then there are the vets. Um, so, and the other thing that's interesting about the United States is they actually don't have a free market because there's a lot of um, restrictions on state-to-state -state insurance companies. So it's an example where the U.S. falls down, and I'm not here to defend the U.S. system because it has a lot, a lot it needs to do. But we do have to bear in mind that at its best, it offers the best. I mean, it has the some of the the best technology, the best drug. I mean, we've seen with COVID how mm -hmm. Canada has depended on the United States for for to relieve relieve ourselves of 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 the COVID crisis, and so um, you're talking about with vaccinations, for yes, example. Yeah. Ironically, then, with the Pfizer, but we had to get it through Europe because it, yeah, yeah. But 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 you know, it's it's a dis the the hub of the research that leads to most of the top technology in medicine, including drugs, is is from the United States. There's right. no question about that. And um, and um, and Canada has driven has driven a lot of these uh, innovative corporations out of the country. We've said we don't want big pharma, and right. we don't want the we don't want the jobs they bring. We don't want the investment they bring, um, which which is silly. Uh, let's maybe spend a bit more time talking about, you, you just pointed out how the United States has some of the best medical advances, services in the world. Yes. Um, so look, and talking about the United States, I mean, there's, there's some real intense debate going on in the United States right now around healthcare reform. If Canada were to reform our healthcare system, what aspects would you take from different models around the world? I mean, one, for example, I know you've talked about before is the UK Care Guarantee Program. So yes. can you maybe speak to that one? And then if there's any others that you can come to mind as far as other aspects. You've obviously seen systems around the world. You right. understand them. So, so I, I, what would you, you do? Know, I, I lived in Switzerland for a while. And, um, and they have, a, as I said, they have an interesting universal system where it's based on private insurance. Um, but it's, but if you are in the low income group, the government pays the premiums. Uh, Holland's somewhat the same, um, and um, and uh, interestingly, that's you know that's uh, there is there is a in a care guarantee in in Britain, which has um, you know, ten percent of the population of Britain have you have private health insurance. It's optional, and what's interesting is a lot of those people are government. Government employees, to get, really? Yeah, to get private because they get it through their um, through, through the government. Yeah, right. And and um, it's and part of their benefits package, so to speak. Yes, and and you know, just talking about the U. Going back to the U.S., Obamacare. You know, we think of it as kind of a socialist system. It's based on private health insurance and private hospitals mostly, but the the state will cover and pay the insurance premiums, kind of like in oh, Switzerland, to those that need that can't afford it. Hmm. Now, the U.S., I'm not, I'm not going to support the U.S. system because the biggest problem they have is uninsured services. And the Americans have this, they really want the greatest and the latest, f and, and, and no country can afford to give that to everyone in unlimited amounts. And mm -hmm. so, so, so there has to be some rationale. And, but... Um, but there are features of many of these systems. So the British healthcare guarantee mm -hmm. is that from the time you see a family doctor until you, uh, if you need, say, a hernia operation or a knee operation or a back operation, yeah. 
from the time you see the family doctor and he and they say you need to see a specialist and have surgery or a procedure done till the time you've completed the surgery has to be a maximum of 18 weeks really? beyond which beyond and that includes getting an MRI if you need it getting any tests getting the seeing the specialist being booked for it and having the procedure done that maximum from the time you were in your family doctor's office 18 weeks and beyond that um what happens if that doesn't occur you then the government funds you to go um to any public private in e even in europe they they um you know that might have m changed a little bit after brexit but yeah. but until brexit it was any public or private hospital in in Europe the government would in the common market anyway so so just make sure I'm clear let's use my own case as an example because as you know you actually operated on my knee for full disclosure and you did a great job by the way and so I've hurt my knee just playing hockey it wasn't through work it wasn't through driving a vehicle you're saying if I lived in the UK that the obligation of the healthcare system in the UK is that within 18 weeks of me being diagnosed by my GP that I need surgery, which includes the process of getting x-ray, MRI, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That within 18 weeks, I need to be lying on a bed with a doctor like you working on my knee. Yes. And if they don't deliver that, they have to pay, the government has to pay for me to be able to get access, private healthcare through like an institution yeah. like Canby. Yeah. Yeah. So not only is it not illegal, it's actually an obligation of the government to pay for the service. Yeah, but, but often, um, you know, the other thing that's different the other thing that's very unusual about Canada is that we primarily fund our hospitals with a fixed annual budget. We call it a global budget or block funding. So, so if, for example, I'm making up this figure, but supposing Vancouver General Hospital is given a billion dollars a year to run the operations and, and the operating rooms, um, every patient that goes to the hospital is using up their money. And that's the that explains a lot. Whereas in England and in every other OECD country, every other developed country, when a patient goes, even within the universal system, they um, the hospital gets revenue from the government. So, so, so a hospital in England that treats no patients will have no revenue. Okay. And so, if you're the chief financial officer of a hospital in Beece in Canada, um, so it's a variable cost or revenue versus fixed. Yeah, if, uh, which so makes a lot of sense yeah, because the chief financial officer of a hospital in Canada uh, the last thing they want is patients because they're using <laughs> up their budget. So right. financial success is if you keep your if you still have a billion dollars at the end of the year. I'm exaggerating a bit yeah. but just to make the point that in 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 England what happened when they introduced money uh, what they called uh, PBR but anyway it's uh, payment by results hospitals, public hospitals um, that were performing well and could attract patients got more revenue. And so there was, a, that's a, a kind so of an a internal, good example of they call it an internal market that, um, that these, um, the, there is an incentive for the, for the hospital that patients want to go there because they give good service, they have good doctors and nurses, and and they treat the patients well. Whereas in Canada, you go to a hospital, and uh, I'm not saying this about the staff, the doctors and the nurses don't want to look after the patients, but in terms of the 
overall management of the hospital, mm-hmm. a patient is consuming the, their budget. Wow, it's a, it's, it's a crazy and so system. When it comes to driving um, policies around care, how you're gonna operate, there's two very different thought processes going on for these CFOs of these hospitals or the CEOs of these hospitals. Yes, based because on your descri- description. Well, you know, we we haven't talked about it, but one of the fastest growing businesses in the world, if you if you like, is the business of medical tourism. It's where so over two hundred over two hundred thousand Canadians um, before COVID were going abroad every year to get mostly, um, but to the U.S. but elsewhere to get surgeries, um, and it's a, you can multiply that by ten for the United States. They they were going abroad too, and we are. And you think this is just a, a, a great example of what, because uh, well, a testament as to why our, that our system's not working. It, well, our system, um, th- if we change, uh, even if we just change our funding system, like we're closing down hospitals at three o'clock in the afternoon sometimes. Um, um, we we why? we could. Because we don't have the money to run them, the patients will use up their money. The money we don't have the budget to do it, because there's hospitals closing at three in the afternoon. The operating rooms are closing. Yes. Really. When I was at, I was one of the first people on staff at UBC Hospital in 1981 when it opened, and um, and we would we had a 24-hour emergency department and with two yeah. fractures. Now it's it's closed at. I, you know, it closes in the I'm evening. always perplexed by UBC Hospital because I live up in the same area that you yeah. live near UBC there. And anytime I've had to go there, maybe four or five times with my young children and my daughter, you know, just had a sprained ankle or whatever. It's always such a great place to go. But I look at this huge facility and think to myself, like, it seems very underutilized. Like, right. It's a big facility, but it seems like there's very few people there. Yeah. Uh, well, it's underutilized because they don't have the money to operate it. And, you know, one of the things, statistics that COVID has brought to light mm-hmm. is the fact that we are desperate for hospital beds in Canada. We are, we're ranked 51st in the world in number of beds per population. And wow. and that's not very good for a country that's ranked in the top three or four for spending on, on healthcare. But we well, have- Well, you just answered one of my questions. Mm-hmm. This is so, so we're one of the top three in the world for spending on a per capita basis, but mm-hmm. we're ranked 50th as far as beds per capita and 26 where's all this money going Brian? so we're ranked 26th in the number of doctors per population when i came yeah. to canada uh, in the 70s we were fourth fourth in the world in the number of doctors per population are you talking about gps or just all all doctors doctor? yeah all doctors so, what? so okay so so can you explain this for the listeners because first of all i think what's fascinating about this is i think a lot of listeners like myself don't even realize do you think that's part of the problem do is there a lot of canadians that aren't in the medical field like yourself that don't even realize there's a problem here well until you need healthcare, you don't know you know the, the promise is there right but then it's once you need it that's when you realize oh it's not delivering now sometimes it does we, we had almost an identical conversation with troy the head of the BC Ambulance Service just like a month ago, he said the same thing. Yeah. So you don't realize how much you need your ambulance until you need your ambulance. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's it's the same with um, with with all healthcare. At any one time, only a few percent need it. So if there's a promise from the government to deliver healthcare, um, and they don't do it, uh, only the two or three percent are angry. And then Canadians. 
are very accepting of government control, I think, in a mm -hmm. way that many other nations, uh, the people are not. And complacency. Yes. We still have well, we Justin just Trudeau as a prime yeah, minister. <laughs> yeah, uh, we just accept that, um, yeah. accept things as they are. But you're saying that we are the top three spenders by per capita basis. Yeah, in, the in U.S. The world. is well above the, the others. And, okay, and but let's not compare ourselves to an, uh, a country that ranked 12th and we ranked 11th. My question to you is, where's all this money going? I mean, if we're paying that much money, it reminds me, I think, of like the, another parallel would be like the U.S. spends, I think, more money on education than almost any other country in the world per capita, yet they have, they don't rank very well, on glo you know, globally right. on education for young people. Right. So, so wh where is this money going, Brian? So Canada for a population of about 35, 36 million. Mm -hmm. We have 14 health ministries. You know, we have federal, provincial, territorial. Um, uh, France, with double the population, has one. And so every health ministry has a health minister. They all have deputies. The deputies all have associate deputies and one of the statistics that um, that stands out in my mind is that um, we have, on a per capita basis, 11 times as many public health bureaucrats as Germany does. 11 times? Yes. As Germany? Yes. Which a lot of people would, you know, when you compare things to like Switzerland and Norway, but Germany is a bigger country than ours. Yeah. Very modern. Have, so we have, for every and public health bureaucrat they have, we have 11. And that that uses up a lot of money. So what you're saying, and maybe one of the solutions here is just to consolidate. I mean, would you consolidate down to the level, for example, of the health health authorities within BC? I mean, I guess there's no really reason to have a Fraser Health Authority separate from a um, well, uh, what's the other one called? Fraser Vancouver and Coastal Vancouver and Coastal. And, uh, yeah. Well, it's probably not at that level. You know, I, I kind of joke to someone once, uh, well, what's the first thing you'd do if you were the Minister of Health, I was asked. Yeah. I said the well, first thing i do is close the Ministry of Health <laughs> and just have the finance ministry send the money to the hospitals. I immediately would save billions of dollars. So what you're saying is the Ministry of Health in British Columbia really doesn't do much for mm -hmm. patients and or for taxpayers for that matter. They just burn through the cash on its way down from the federal government transfers to the provincial mm -hmm. Ministry of Health and then from there down to the health authorities, just send well, it straight to the health there, authorities. There are buildings in Victoria where the whole building and its staff is devoted to um, to weightless management and counting them and measuring them. Well, guess what happens if you eliminated weightless? <laughs> right. And they they wouldn't have a job. This and legal action we're talking about here is this the against the provinces, the Medicare Protection Act, and you did this in 2009. Yeah. So this is this you launched this action against the province while we had a BC Liberal government in power. Yeah. And Yes, um, because what happened is the BC Nurses Union uh -huh. went to court. There have been laws on the books since the beginning uh, of Canby, if you like, which um, said basically outlaw private insurance and private funding for health care. But we had opinions from Canada's leading, probably the leading two constitutional lawyers in Canada, um, uh, one of them was Peter Hogg, uh, who um, writes the standard textbooks for law schools on constitutional law, that, that the laws that said 
said that people suffering on wait lists have to stay on wait lists and can't use their own funding or insurance are, are unconstitutional. So we operated under that, under those, um, on, on the premise that even though we were, if you like, in violation of provincial laws, those laws were unlawful. Just like the history is full of unlawful laws. Like, you know, when I was a kid, um, you were not uh, Muhammad Ali was not allowed to go on certain in certain buses or in certain restaurants um, and in Canada there was a time when women didn't have the vote these these were laws that were unconstitutional and then we've had uh, you know the Morgenthal the case on abortion that was illegal um, and um, then we've got same-sex marriage we've got prisoners rights we've got assisted dying all of these issues have been shown, uh, it used to be, when I was a kid, illegal to commit suicide. Well, I mean, you, you, people who commit suicide are mentally ill, and they do it in a state of mental illness. If you survived, you could be charged. Um, you could be charged with an offense. So these laws were all found okay. to be... <laughs> so uh, odd. Yeah. Odd and, and illegal. So you're, you're, pointing out that you're, you're pointing out that we've made a lot of progress in Canada. Well, we haven't because those laws are still there. The, okay. the, and that's what our constitutional challenge is about, striking down those laws as they were struck down in Quebec in 2005. Mm -hmm. Is this the uh, the case called Chowley Chowley yes. versus yeah. Quebec? So in 2005, uh, the... the, the um, Maybe just the, for the listeners to understand, who's, who's Chowley? Everybody knows so who's Jacques Chowley was a French, uh, is a French doctor who... Um, launched this suit you know, at the time he launched it france was the number one ranked healthcare system in the world according to the world health organization and so he was used to a good health system and he found that his oh, so he's french he's from france yes. but he was living but in he was quebec? living in, in quebec okay gotcha and um and just thought this was crazy that uh that his that things weren't like they were in france which was the number one ranked system and you know, he he understood that the reason, even though there was pr there was private hospitals and there were private uh, there was private insurance in France, that what that did is introduce a little bit of competition for the public system, and there was a yardstick by which Canadians uh, the French could could judge the Canadian the, sure. the French system. Here in Canada, one of the greatest um, problems governments have with us. Is that we make them look bad? I mean, okay. you know, whereas is that we gen genuinely like one of oh, the issues? Yes. So if we didn't exist, the system wouldn't look as bad. But because we, we, you wouldn't know any better, yeah, uh, unless you travel outside the country. So, um, so Jack Charlie mounted a case, um, and it got went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. He lost it in in at the Quebec levels of the courts. Okay, it went to the Supreme Court of Canada, and they ruled it was unconstitutional for a, someone from Quebec to to be denied access to private to buying private health insurance and um, and hmm. you know our cases say it basically and, it and after that happened what did that mean and if I'm in Quebec now yeah. I could well it meant that in law but the Quebec government didn't mm, didn't necessarily obey the law they introduced certain Restricted, restricted access to private insurance, and and um, and then there were political um, issues where the the government was told um, by by 
rights by certain groups that if you if you if you enforce what you've just been told to enforce we'll we'll hold back on our support and so it never really but what it did result in which is interesting is a care guarantee and um, and yes in Quebec in Quebec okay and you know our, our basic our, one of the things we're arguing in our lawsuit is should a patient suffering or dying on a wait list in BC have the same protection under the Charter that the Supreme Court of Canada gave to people in Quebec suffering on waitlists, right, and we have, say we say yes, it should. Sure, yeah. Well, they shouldn't be treated any better than we should. We're all Canadians, and we're all this. Well, yeah, but and that's what we're we're arguing for in court. Are, are there people dying on waitlists in BC today? Oh yes, uh, in evidence in our trial, uh, just from one year at Fraser Health, three hundred and eight people. That's just one health region died on a waitlist in in one year. That that. That you can imagine. When was that done? That that was 2015-16. That, that was the only. That's the only year we could get. You know, it's hard to get these this data, but that is uh, in evidence. So one health region going back seven years ago, way before COVID, yeah. where hospital and medical services have retracted significantly. Yeah. You had over 300 people in one health region die in a wait list. Yes. Are there people today in BC? who have cancer and are likely going to die because they didn't get treated in enough time uh, oh well in, in, uh, through the public course, healthcare system of course yes i mean we know heart, we we had to heart extract attack as well or? we had to extract data from the government they were very reluctant to put it in provincial government yes okay uh, we had to call a quotes a hostile witness and we got into evidence um, in certain cancers one of the things that's happened in BC, and this wasn't the case in Quebec in 2005, is we have government-mandated maximum acceptable benchmarks. The BC government has actually endorsed these. And certain cancers in BC, only 13% of the cancers are being treated in the time that the government says it's safe, at maximum safe time. So only 13%. 13% of certain cancers. So despite cancers, all the cancer research that we do in this province, which I know is a lot, you're telling me that as far as delivery, they're not getting treated. They're not, not patients. Uh, patients are are being neglected. Patients with cancer and heart disease and urgent medical conditions are also put on wait lists and not being treated in the, in the within the maximum acceptable time that the government has deemed they should be. And do you think COVID's going to cause this, uh, this, when the stats come out a year or two from now, do you think we'll see it's even worse? There are, there are models, modeling studies from uh, McMaster that show a year or so ago showed that they thought wait lists would go up between four and seven times. And then a year later, they've renewed that. That was in 2020. A year This year, they renewed that, revisited that study. And they, they said, they, we think we've underestimated so it's going to be drastic because right now people, we don't know how many people are waiting. We do know there's a lot of false data being put out from from um, BC on, uh, or there's no minimal data that they, uh, they have a website that, that makes no sense. If you just look at it, they've got, well, it's similar to when I, when I was at UBC, um, you went to the government website on waitlists, and it showed 
that I had 10 people waiting for surgery and I had 400 waiting. And I'd walk into the clerk of the operating room and said, well, how come it's, this, the data shows 10? She said, I don't know, there's 400. So, wow. And that's going on today. So not proper collection from the government or they're not being transparent with They're what not being transparent. I mean, the transparency was one of the things we wanted to get out in the courtroom. Um, actually, Post Media, which is, you know, owns the some of the big media mm-hmm. outlets in the Vancouver Sun and so on, they went, they asked for permission to televise the trial. And we supported it because we thought the public have a right to know what's going on with their health system. But the government... Uh, opposed it and uh, the judge would not allow it to be televised. That's amazing. So where are we at on this court case today, Brian? So in in June, we, well, in September of last year, we lost um, at the lower court. Our lawyers and we both feel there were many, many errors in law and in findings of fact. And, um, And the findings of fact would be shocking to, I mean, you know, there were certain findings of fact that just make no sense by, uh, for instance, one of the findings of fact was that if you wait longer than six months on a wait list, you get 8% better every month, Um, um, which means no one would ever need any surgery. Um, um, Because after... 12 months after 100 <laughs> eventually months, everyone 100 gets better you, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a nonsense but it was a finding of fact okay. and and but then the, the 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 real um the the appeal court is constrained in the bc appeal court which heard it in heard our appeal of that decision in june of this year they can't really in detail look at the facts because they don't hear the evidence they're just looking at the trial record and um, some of those facts were Bad, you know, were badly misinterpreted, and they will look at those. But they, there were also, we believe, and our lawyers believe, and lots of lawyers across the country believe, there were many errors in law, and those are appealable. But whatever happens, that um, we're expecting that decision within the next couple of months, we hope. Okay. And um, and then whatever happens, it's headed towards the Supreme Court of Canada, just like Charlie did, and unlike Charlie, this case will be will have application in every province. Because Chaoli um, um, was, the the Supreme Court of Canada only, d- uh, the, the ruling in favor of Quebecers was under the Quebec, Quebec. Charter, because right. they have their Which own is charter. Which is different. But it's very similar, that. very similar. Yeah. The, but, the but, but so what you're saying is to make sure I uh, dumb this down is that if you have a similar ruling or any any kind of success with this at the um, at the Supreme Court of Canada, um, it will it will affect all provinces across Canada. Yes. Yeah. Because so, Quebec kind of operates separately from the rest of the country. Yeah. Is that a f- it, they have their own constitution, but it's very yeah. similar. Yeah. And one of the judges who who could have ruled said said I don't need to rule on the Canadian Charter. I'm ruling on the. And she was from Quebec. I, I'm ruling on the on the Quebec Charter, and that's enough for this case. Right. And 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 um, you know it's um, it's you know basically as I said earlier, our case is is asking the Supreme. Uh, we'll ask the Supreme Court of Canada. Sh- you you gave. Uh, do you think BC residents shouldn't have the same rights as Quebec residents? Right. Um, uh, if they're suffering and dying on 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 wait lists, we also. 
you know, and I, I to, we talked about these exempt groups. The, we talked about workers' compensation being mm -hmm. exempt and non-residents being exempt, but perhaps most... Seems like everybody's exempt for the, except for the BC well, taxpayer, BC perhaps citizens. The most <laughs> perhaps the most dramatic group that are exempted are pr federal prisoners. So federal prisoners um, have access to private health care. Um, really? Yeah, they're exempted. And so, so is the... So if I have a bum knee and I'm, and I'll speak by personal experience, I'm now over a year still waiting for a consultation through the public system, whereas by going through Canby, I was able to get in and see you in about seven weeks or so. Yeah. Uh, the next best step would be, if I can't afford to do that, is just, you know, maybe go do a small crime, well, get yeah, myself a day worth in jail, <laughs> and then while I'm there, I say, hey, I need to get my knee fixed? Yeah, there was a cartoon <laughs> on that where an elderly woman was in behind bars in the cartoon and she was asked by the jailer what are you what are you doing why are you here and she says i'm i've come in for a hip replacement <laughs> and um, i mean it's and yeah, funny but by but the it's way you know, really you, not you, funny. You, i think you know what happened with you can't happen today because our injunction expired and the government wouldn't vol wouldn't um, wouldn't agree to renew it and we didn't go back to court because we've had enough time in court we're waiting for the uh, to hear what the appeal court says so right now if that happened if you were if you were presented today we couldn't do anything with you you just so have I, to I got lucky getting in with the time that i did before yes because it expired on september the 30th the um wow. you know one of the um one of the problems is that uh that we have uh to go to court is very expensive. It's yeah. one of the things I, you know. We, Brian, we who's paying for all this? Well, we have um, a, the Canadian Constitution Foundation is a, a national charity, and people have donated to that to that uh, charity okay. for us. And um, and yes, one of the things that I would say, you know, we talk about access to healthcare, but we have a constitution in Canada that really is ineffective because no single individual could ever afford to fight for their rights it's too expensive sure so um so um to go to court and fight for your rights costs millions of dollars and that means that the only people who could really fight for their rights are multi uh, are wealthy wealthy groups or people or groups like us that fundraise and and we did and, and right we're we're committed now but um but it's um it's been and you really believe in this obviously this is this is more than just what you might be able to do with Cambi itself yeah i mean uh, how can we how can we be the only country in the world where it's illegal where the, where where the government can say to you we know you're suffering on a wait list we know you might die and we can't treat you but by the way we've brought in a law to say you can't do anything about this right that doesn't make any sense but it seems to me that while there's there are people out there like myself who don't accept that as being uh, reasonable, and, I'm, and I look for other solutions, and I happen to be fortunate enough that I can afford to make a phone call, get my doctor to call call Canby and go get that surgery. It's expensive. Most Canadians can't afford that. But I find it perplexing at the same time that uh, we don't hear more people complaining about this. Is it just the media is not picking it up or people just become very complacent? I know you commented earlier about, you know, Canadians are just too polite. Is that what the problem is? I, I think that's part of it. And then, as I said, the, the numbers are low. But, but you know, there is one of the arguments we hear is th this is for the wealthy, you know. But 
but actually it's not for the wealthy the wealthy there is no country in the world where the wealthy suffer on weightless they go you know as i said you can go to the united states yeah. you can go to europe you uh, canadians can who are wealthy have never suffered um we've one of the points i i, I raise is politic we you know, we have well-known politicians who in the public are on the public record as having used private health care for themselves even when they would stand on a, a soapbox and say it's not really? good but once it affects them <laughs> your your outlook changes when it's you or your loved ones and, and this is include sort of left-leaning uh politicians like oh NDP? yes yes yeah we yes we've had mm. ndp leaders at our clinic and um, okay. the um, it's amazing the, and, and union leaders and and the you know the instigator of this lawsuit the group that went to court to force the bc government to start this action and uh, that that we had to counter with an action rather um the bc nurses union has sent us patients i mean well, i've really? got che i've got checks from the BC Nurses Union, yes. Um, but we cash them, but I've got the... You know, so then where is the, the resistance? I don't understand. I mean, I just don't understand this. Where is the... Where is the... What are ca what are Canadians who are... If, I, if you were to listen to the people out there who are um, on the other side of the table, they're against this. What is their fear? Well, one of the things they... F they, they you know, a lot of them are well-meaning people uh, who believe that this is something for the rich. But as I said, if you have a care guarantee, it's for everyone. And there, if, 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 if for instance, uh, there is nothing to stop a government, so supposing the way the government and its public system can solve the inequality and the, quotes, inequity. By the way, we're, we're ranked at the bottom in equity amongst the uh, in the, in in the by the world uh, groups but 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 the way the government on medical care yes we're in lowest inequity and we have uh, in, in stats canada has data showing that the worst access and the worst health out outcomes in canada are in the low income low income groups so we're not doing what we think we're doing right but but we um, if the government really feels so if you legalize private health insurance and and say well you know what about the poor they they need to be looked after those that can't afford well right now if you're on welfare you you get you know dental and and phys, you know physiotherapy and prescription drugs all funded um but but the rest the rest don't unless they have private health insurance but but there's nothing to stop the government See, I, th they've got two solutions to the inequity and the unfairness. Make the public system good enough that actually there's no need for a private option because you're delivering care in a timely way, or else pay the premiums like they do in other countries, like they do in Switzerland and Holland, um, pay the premiums for those who, who aren't getting access to get access. The, right. the solution is in in the hands of those are two of really valid solutions yeah and and there's so what you're proposing one of the options is just have more money go towards the cost of patients right to the hospitals so either give the hospitals more money which costs taxpayers more or what you're proposing one of the starting points is just get rid of the ministry of health in the province in the first place and go straight to the hospitals yeah but the the other point on economics because i know that's your field is we know 
that it's actually cheaper to treat people quickly. But it's it's cheaper in the in in the long, in the long term, run. yeah. But not in the short term. Right. Good point. And governments only work on three to four year financial cycles. <laughs> yes. But <laughs> governments need to plan long term, and they're not good at that. And we know so that the economic cost of waiting for healthcare. That's why workers' comp send send their patients to to Canby. Yeah. Because it's they amazing. know so BC, it's expensive to BC keep BC nurses unions with. send people to Canby. Yep. Workers' compensation send people to Canby. The Attorney General's office, which is the defendant in the case, sends those patients too. <laughs> this is amazing. What an irony and the hypocrisy. Yes, yeah. There's the BC Health Coalition and Canadian Doctors for Medicare that say that your case is the most significant constitutional challenge in Canadian history. If you win, they st state that you'll open the floodgates to a U.S.-style system that relies on private insurance and helps providers to set any price of care that the market will allow. Some of the things that they say, and one of the majority point out, is this will allow the rich to get access first. There's other comments about how this will move all the good doctors into the private system, so those people, the poor that you referred to, won't get care by good doctors, but by poor doctors. And it will increase the price of health care due to the sort of arms race between insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies. Do you want to comment on some of these? So, so, um, so the Canadian Health Coalition is a trade union funded lobby group. Okay. They, they, um, they were, in, they and their, um, Canadian Doctors for Medicare were interveners in our case. We have had executives from the Canadian Doctors for Medicare treated at our clinic <laughs> who stand, who also will stand on the lawns outside protesting um, against our clinic. And, and um, we've had the commonest single demographic of a patient treated at Canby is a unionized worker through workers' compensation. So th this is, makes no sense whatsoever. It doesn't make any sense. Let's talk about Canby and what you guys do. Um, there's the specialist referral clinic and there's Canby surgery. Can you just separate the two for me and explain what they're... Yeah. So, so years ago, um, w you know, we started the concept of Canby in the early 90s and we opened in 96. Um, and then we, this, um, I was involved in opening a, a clinic called the Visiting Specialist Clinic at Workers' Comp um, to, to expedite the treatment of injured workers. And it was funded completely by wor the wor WorkSafe BC. And then I thought, after a few years, I thought this is, if you're injured on the job, um, you're getting to see specialists. And we got the specialists from from uh, the hospitals to go to workers' comp and see patients. So the people who aren't injured on the job or aren't, you know, aren't WorkSafe BC um, patients should have the same rights. And that's when we opened Specialist Referral Clinic. Um, <coughs> so they have a lot of the same um, groups involved, same docs, a lot of the same doctors. But, um, but all of the, um, so, so what, what, specialist referral clinic does is it acts as a visiting specialist clinic for people who aren't injured on the job. Okay, I see. 
And with respect to CAMBI surgery, um, can you speak to some of the stats? Like, uh, how many patients a year do you treat, and what kind of, how many doctors do you have on on uh, on your roster? So we have over a hundred doctors, and some of them, um, you know, don't do. Everyone varies. Some people might only do one or two cases a, a month, or even uh, less. Mm -hmm. uh, some do do more. Um, we have um, we have um, about forty nurses who are. Um, most of them are part-time um, a lot of our nurses we've brought back into the workforce they were they were out they were either semi-retired or they were some of them were nurses with our nurses with young families and they can't do the overnight Saturday night stints that um, that you have to do under the union rules in the public hospitals, mm -hmm. and and then there were lots of nurses who couldn't get a job. You know, this is one of the paradoxes. They talk about nursing shortages, and uh, but but then they weren't employing nurses, and they weren't giving them jobs, and so so we've um, we have actually increased the capacity and the flexibility of the so so they can come to Canby maybe once every three days and work and you can't do that in the public system because the hospitals won't let you right so um so um yeah uh, and then can be itself um since we opened we've treated about eighty five thousand patients wow yeah and um and what kind of surgeries do you offer at Canby? is it is it is it a combination of both I guess you call cosmetic as well as medical. We do cosmetic the cosmetic surgeries done there, but but um, a lot of um, a lot of other surgeries like orthopedics and general surgery. Mm -hmm. um, we are not allowed to do patients. Um, the government um, won't let us keep people patients more than one night. Uh, about uh, quite a long time ago, um, we applied to keep patients longer because uh, we're capable of it and. Um, and um, and the reason we wanted to keep them longer is we wanted to get into more in more, more uh, longer stay surgeries and hip replacements and knee replacements and mm -hmm. surgeries like that. And the government um, the government said they would look at it and get back to us in the next um, year in the next six to twelve months. That was thirteen years ago. We're still waiting. <laughs> This seems to span across uh, just not just a one type of government. Like, it's, have you been? It seems like you've had a challenge here, whether it's a BC Liberal government or a BC NDP government. Well, I think governments generally are afraid of healthcare, um, and they shouldn't be. You know, they shouldn't be because, as I said, um, the Ipsos poll that I t that was a 2018 poll, so fairly recent, um, was basically asked the public. Um, you know, you're on a wait list, or should you be allowed to go to a, a place like Canby? And across the country, it was 76% said yes. Um, and in BC, it was 80%. So this is an issue that, um, that resonates with the public, but the politicians remain afraid, afraid of it. And, um, you know, years ago, several years ago, I was in a, a debate not really a debate, but a, a, a round table with um, with two former Canadian premiers, provincial premiers, Mike Harris and Ralph Klein. And they all, um, you know, I, I basically stood at the podium and said, um, said, well, you know, 
we've heard from Mr. Klein and, 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 and Mr. Harris how they support this, um, this option because it, it's the right thing to do based on world experience. Uh, I said, but, um, but they were both in power. And when they were both in power, neither of them did anything to fix this. Right. And, um, and it's one thing to believe. And their response to that was that the timing was better now than when we were in power. So yeah, they're afraid of it. I mean, it's you know people call it the third rail of politics, the the electric rail in the middle. They're afraid of, and part of the reason they're afraid is that that you know these groups like Canadian Doctors for Medicare and the co health coalitions and the union organized groups, they want to keep um, healthcare um, as a public only, public sector union operated run place but the paradox there is that when we were opening canby in the early 90s and um, we did a we had the um the union at B U ubc hospital do a survey a poll of their members um the health the nurses physiotherapists technicians the unionized staff at ubc hospital did a poll on how many would support what we're doing at canby and of the members 95% supported us. Really? So the leaders are out of sync with the members. Wow. That's an amazing statistic. Yeah. So aside from your court cases, to wrap this up here, Brian, uh, aside from your court case, is there anything else that could possibly happen that would make the system better? Because from my outside observation, being in my mid-40s now, having used Canby twice in my life, because I couldn't get adequate or care fast enough through the public system. It seems like the system as a whole is just getting worse. It seems like wait lists are getting longer. It's impossible to find yourself a GP. I'm talking more holistically, not just for surgery, but mm -hmm. the whole medical system. So beside, besides your case and being able to provide British Columbians and ca Canadians for that matter, access to private medical care through through your can be surgery as an example. Is there anything else that we could see happen that will make pivot this in another direction? And I might and I'm and as maybe before you even answer that question, is my observation a reality of what's going on? Like is it is it much worse than it was twenty years ago across the, the nation? It's it's much worse. It's a crisis and it's a crisis that that um, that will eventually force be will force change because okay. right now the wait lists are going going growing and growing and growing we know the the covid factor has added to that we know from line from hospitals locally that um, that patients are being canceled still postponed and they're never you know there there are claims that oh we'll catch up they can never catch up they can never catch up because they don't have the resources to catch up. We don't have the hospital infrastructure to, get, to catch up. We don't have the, um, the funding to catch up. So eventually, economic collapse of the system, which is already happening. To me, it's economic collapse when 308 people in one hospital region die in a year. Uh, you can't justify that morally or ethically mm -hmm. in, in my, to my mind. And... Um, and if you extrapolate that to Canada, I mean, multiply that 308 by, uh, by you know, I mean, I, I, I think Fraser Health looks after about one and a half 
million people. So mm -hmm. mu multiply that by 25 to 30, whatever the factor is. Yeah. And there's a lot, there are a lot of people dying on wait lists in Canada. And um, it seems like if we even treated our general healthcare system with a fraction of attention that we have for COVID, we'd have a lot more people living. We'd have a lot more people walking around on the street, healthier, less pain. Is that a fair statement? Yes. I mean, basically, you know, you can get private health insurance. If you're a federal employee, you get funded for private health care. A federal politician, um, um, senators, judges can get funded for private health care. Um, if you're, there's nothing to stop you going to your local vet and buying insurance for your pets, health insurance for your pets. So, and as I said, prisoners look at it. So we're asking that ordinary Canadians have the same rights that politicians, prisoners, and pets have. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great statement. John Horgan recently got assessed uh, for having some cancerous tissue or something on his neck. Um, and I, I was questioning how he was able to get access to so quickly. Do you think John Horgan was placed on a fast-tracked list? I mean, did he get to get a chance to go to jump the queue, so to speak? I, I honestly, I, I can't answer that, but but I can tell you that lots of cancer patients are not getting treated quickly. I can tell you um, uh, the, that that generally in any anywhere in the world, this is, so this is not a criticism of of uh, BC or Canada. Anywhere in the world, VIPs get better treatment than than the rest of us. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the the way it is. And sure. uh, and you know, I I remarked once. Um, I was um, called. I I did an interview with the um, when I was in Ottawa once with the Ottawa newspaper, and I just happened to point out someone had shown me uh, the admission chart at the at the Ottawa hospital the main Ottawa hospital and on the top right hand corner of the of the of the admission sheet was a, a box to tick whether they're a VIP or not <laughs> this is a public hospital really yes and and you you when you booked it you had to tick whether they were a VIP now that was put in the 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 Ottawa citizen newspaper wrote that story up on the front page um, a few days later the VIP box was gone but you know the VIPs are still, yeah, still getting, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you know, I, I think a lot of people are re realistic in knowing that if uh, the premier of the province or a Canucks player needs surgery or medical attention, they get it right away. They don't not waiting. But I think your point you just made a minute ago, which is trying to advocate for the same equal rights as prisoners and pets, is a really valid point. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, we have a German Shepherd, and and I think that um, we had a, we actually had a vet a vet. Um, not um, I I interviewed a vet on this, and I said, you know, um, if you had a German Shepherd, and it was limping in pain, what is the and needed a, a joint replacement because they do joint replacements in jo dogs now. So what's the longest you could ethically? Um, keep that dog limping in pain like that and he said oh it, it would be against uh, you know our our the our code of ethics if we kept them waiting longer than a week 
Well, humans <laughs> are keep awaiting one and a half to two years limping in pain, and that's not right. That's amazing. Well, Brian, I appreciate you coming in today. Okay. Brian Day, Medical Director of the Specialist Referral Clinic and Cambry Surgery Center, and at the forefront of a court case with the provincial government that's been going for a better part of how many years now? Ten, ten years? Yes, two, 2009, so it's... Um, yeah, 12 years. January of 2009 is coming up to... And, um, and, and a toffee, and an Everton supporter. If you're ever going to see Brian, make sure you're wearing blue and not red. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, thanks for coming on the show today. really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Okay. 